What's an object or artifact from movies or books that you've always wanted to have? Hmm. Oh, like like a lightsaber, or like some sort of yes. MacGuffin. <sighs> the time turner from Harry Potter. Oh, that's uh, yeah. That one's mm. that's pretty good. Actually, I was thinking of another item from Harry Potter. The Felix Felicis. Oh, dude. Wait, it's been so long. I don't remember the that. Luck, the, the, the potion of luck. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a great one. Such that a would cool be insane idea. to have. Dude. You just drink it and then buy all the lottery tickets and you're done. Or you get that's a friend it. to switch it out with a fake and then you think you're lucky and it's the same mm. thing. Right. I feel like there's a lot of exploits in the Harry Potter universe that people haven't considered. Yeah. I, okay. I think for me, okay, yes, I got mine. Uh, the portal gun, <laughs> the portal gun. <gasps> oh, absolutely, that would be the portal so gun. sick! Like, yep. I feel like there's so Dang. many ways to use that. But I mean, there's, wow, there's I, a I, lot that's of good ones. Better than my answer. I gotta think about this. Like you got Jack Sparrow's compass. That's kind of a cool one. Yeah, mm, yeah. I think that would help some uh, people who are a little uncertain about things. Indecisive. Yeah. See, I used True. to want the marauders map from harry potter Uh Mm uh-huh but i realized that i have a gps on my phone so (laughs) as long as you're sharing location with other people you have a marauders map oh my gosh that's a good point i don't know (laughs) if that's creepy uh... or wonderful (laughs) i mean i think i think the government has a marauders map oh no not again not again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the portal gun is such a good answer i i'm just gonna go with that because i would put one like at the beach in a cave somewhere that no one knows about and then one in my mm-hmm. house and i would just or one at my work i guess i would just take breaks and I would step out on the beach and have a good time see that just sounds like a, a second later whoa, whoa, whoa why don't you just get the the portal gun from rick and morty yeah th- i feel oh, like that's well, better i feel like the portal gun from rick and morty then you can program the location or like a hearthstone from world of warcraft it only goes to one cool, place, yeah. though. But you could always got an hour quick. cool down. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. And this is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, episode 8, Treasure and Magic Items. What is treasure, Jake? What is treasure? Um, I feel like this can be super broad. Treasure is basically anything that has value, <laughs> right? Like anything um, that your your players deem valuable. You know, a, a tre- treasure can be mm, a damsel yep. in distress. It can be a magic item or it can be a pile of gold. Um, it, I, I think mm. treasure is mostly used, though, for convincing players to get in otherwise dangerous situations that they, they might not want to usually go into. Yeah, get them out of their comfort zone. That's interesting that you say it's anything that the players perceive as valuable. Even in, um, there's one D&D setting called Dark Sun, and mm-hmm. metal is so rare that every weapon oh, you have yeah, yeah, is yeah. just crappy. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like made of wood or bone. Mm-hmm. And so anybody who owns an actual metal sword is unbelievably wealthy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it it recontextualizes your expectations of what treasure is. We think of gold and, and money. But if it's just something as simple as like, oh, you have consistent food this week. Yeah. It could even be knowledge. Yeah. In a yeah. Sense. Like you, here's a, a school that will teach you how to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, value, I think giving treasure a broad definition uh, can open you up as a DM to give more possibilities for for entering dungeons or entering 
uh, places or slaying monsters. Because if you just think gold, like, I don't know. I feel like smart players would be much better off, you know, just starting a business um, in a big city. (laughs) And they'd probably make more gold Mm -hmm. with less risk uh, than if they were trudging through dungeons. (laughs) Yeah, that's oh, probably I, there was a, a long time ago. I read a blog about this and that guy was running a game for three or four of his friends who were engineering students. <laughs> oh, and they, they go up go to this wrong? huge dwarven. <laughs> they go up to this huge dwarven uh, mountain fortress and the GM describes the doors as being made of adamantium mm-hmm. and the players figured out the uh, the value of adamantium. They figured out the weight of the doors if they're made of solid uh, precious metal. And they spent the rest of the game disassembling and transporting the doors back to town where they became unbelievably wealthy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, one of my uh, one of my players they talked about in one of their other groups, they um, somehow some witch or some wizard cast a spell that turned one of the player characters into gold. Um, and so <laughs> oh. then what they did was, was you know, the... the the DM had like a quest line where they'd have to go and take their golden statue friend and turn him back into a normal character. Oh no. Uh, yeah. But what they did was they just melted him down <laughs> and sold oh, him no. off. <laughs> oh no. Because they did the calculation and it, they realized they'd be filthy rich. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. That feels bad. Dark, dark turn. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it, it, it kind of goes into the whole thing of like, yeah, you can make money in your world in a variety of ways um dungeoneering mm-hmm. is just the the quickest and the oftentimes the riskiest it's important for people who are playing dungeons and dragons to actually want to play D. if you want to mm-hmm. run a game where, you, where you're a shopkeeper somewhere and you're just trading <laughs> commodities yeah um you probably play a different game like farmville or something yeah <laughs> oh my there gosh. is my cousin was into a japanese tabletop rpg where that was the exact premise of the game oh my god i can't even think of the name now Hmm. Yeah, and you were a shopkeeper and occasionally you have to go out and like kill a monster to get some ingredient but most of it was just bookkeeping what if that was how D started was yeah like or maybe that's how D starts in japan like how it gets big is all these people are playing this farming simulator role-playing game but then one of them's like <laughs> i just want to slay monsters all the time screw this farming and then is that runs what the off. japanese sound yeah like? i guess that's a bad japanese <laughs> but i'm not going to do a japanese caricature yeah my players uh they get a kick out of me doing a Japanese, but I'm not going to do it here. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that treasure is the goal of D&D? Uh, I, I would switch out the for A. Um, I think it is hmm. a goal of d and I don't think it's the goal. But I think it, it is really important to players. Um, yeah. like I feel like DMs often neglect it because they're not the ones getting the treasure or having the glee of finding treasure, opening chests. But players love mm-hmm. finding treasure, finding magic items, um, getting cool oh, stuff. Sure. And so, yeah, I think it may not be the goal. But then again, I don't think there is a the goal of D&D. I think there's several different goals. And I think treasure should be pretty high o- on the list. This is interesting. What would you say are some other goals, if not treasure? Uh, I would almost dare to say that treasure is a secondary goal. Whereas the primary goal is adventure and accomplishment. And you can measure your accomplishment by how much treasure you get. And you can measure your adventure by the monsters and the encounters that you have. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like it's kind of the overarching. Because I mean, 
accomplishment and adventure are some of the most vaguest words we can think of. Um, yeah, they're very they're very <laughs> abstract. But they and, are and treasure is a tangible means of measuring what you're getting. Absolutely, yeah. Accomplished. Yeah, I think there's many different like going back to what you're asking earlier, Will, like the little under goals of David's, you know, adventure and accomplishment. Um I think for me, I mean, role play is up there. I just like interesting, hilarious, mm-hmm. um, compelling role play encounters. Um, other ones could be experience. Um, other ones could be leveling up. Uh, other ones could be spells. Uh, you know, mm. I don't know. There, there, there's a select few concrete goals. I think of D and D, slaying foes. Yeah. I almost wonder if, for me, the goal of D and D is just building a story together. Yeah, I get the same kind of thrill that I get from watching like a really well-written TV show. Yeah, but it's different because you're working together to create that. If you've ever played a great game of Fiasco, which is oh, another game that uh, we'll I probably talk about it. later, um, you really do build a movie together. Yeah, and it's, mm-hmm. you come away from that experience and you remember it like you watched a real movie, and that is so unique because as a average Joe American person, I'm never gonna have the chance to make a big budget film. Don't or, sell or your don't sell yourself that. short. Come on, Will. You're uh, almost there. Well, a lot of people. Almost <laughs> <laughs> uh, the dream, um, but that goes for a lot of people. Like it gives us access to this uh, medium of imagination that is otherwise mm-hmm. totally unavailable to us. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're getting a little esoteric, but I completely agree. I think one moment um, that I, I remember vividly is it was the the finale of of a campaign arc that had gone on for almost a year. Um, and someone just landed the killing blow on the enemy, um, on his name was the void King. Um, and they, they killed him. Oof. And then, uh, basically at that moment, it turned into not a table of people playing D and D, but we turned into a writer's room and hmm. we picked the most cinematic ending. Like, like the void King blew up and basically one guy's like, you know, I am in the blast radius and I die because that would be cinematic. And another guy's like, no, 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 I would jump in and save you because that would make more sense for our characters to finish their arcs. Um, and someone else is like, yeah, mm. I have to die right here because it wouldn't make sense. And like, we just like mm. wrote it together in that moment. And it like, we became a writer's room instead of people playing and we got the most cinematic thing. And it's crazy because now when we all remember it, we remember it as what we concluded with as what we finished with. Yep. Um, and we don't remember, like it's hard to even That's remember cool. all of the little things that we hypothetically thought about in the writer's room around the table. We all remember what we just concluded with and that, that finished product of like the beautiful bow tied on the, the end of that whole arc. Um, so I know we're a little far from treasure, but yeah, that moment has stuck with me. The real treasure here is the experience. <laughs> I'm not crying. No, that, crying. That's esoteric. <laughs> Getting back to treasure I think that it is used to reinforce the theme of your world. Yeah. For instance, um, depending on the setting you're playing, let's look at the Elder Scrolls games, for instance. Um, it's it's what we would call high magic, and that means that magic is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can just walk into a corner store and you can buy potions or you can buy spells. And it's not special, it's just ordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, even in Dark Sun, um, which is a very low magic kind of post-apocalyptic setting, metal weapons are really rare and if you have one that means you're extraordinarily wealthy compared to the rest of the population who has to use wooden or bone tools and i like the fact that something as simple as possession of a certain item establishes Mm -hmm. your position in the world 
Because mm-hmm. in yeah. Dark Sun, going back to that, like um, spells are so forbidden that if you use one, they can execute you right there. Because yeah. spells are the thing that cause the apocalypse, to suck the life out of the whole planet. Huh. No, to drive that home, like, uh, I'm reading a series of books called The Expanse. Um, they're super good sci-fi, mm. like hard sci-fi, I'd, I'd recommend. Uh, but in it, uh, I think towards the end of the first book, maybe, uh, one of the the rich people um, is established of ha- as having a big, ornate mahogany desk. Um, and we think of that as like, okay, whatever. Um, but in that world, like Earth is, you know, has a population of like 30 something billion people. Um, and there, there are no Jeez. more trees. Everything is synthetically made. So mm-hmm. that wooden desk is just like a sign of complete opulence because wood is so rare. Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, um, I really think like that, that wow. what is valued and what you define as treasured can yeah. absolutely um, reinforce the tone and theme of your world. Yeah, even what, what people in-game as an NPCs find valuable shows like what's important for the players and what they should be striving to get. Mm-hmm. I know you look in... Um, a, a great example is... So in The Force Awakens, you can see the value of certain things when Rey is given the decision to sell the BB-8, the droid, for just food, for portions. That's that just really shows what is valued in that world. Oh, that's a good yeah, yeah. that's a good example. Yeah. So I've been reading a lot of medieval kind of um, not history but observations and textbook kind of stuff, and I wonder what it would look like to run a D and D adventure where townspeople pay you in livestock, and then the players have to mm. figure out like now I have to store my one hundred goats that I got. Um, yeah, what they're going to do with it. Oh, yeah. Apparently in medieval times, uh, hard currency, like coins, didn't they mm-hmm. weren't really used by the average peasant. They just weren't. Yeah. Yeah. You probably have to have some sort of property manager or <laughs> right. it, just it, someone to deal with all your stuff for you while you're out. It adventure. opens up this whole new world of, like, game. Yeah, no, because, um, I mean, going back to history, because you know how much I love history, uh, when the Spanish brought mm-hmm. back all of the gold and silver that they mined from the new world... They brought it back and immediately started minting it into coins. Um, and I was listening to someone talk about it. They're like, that was the stupidest thing they could have done because that immediately crashed the entire European economy because they were not prepared. Like they mm. were dealing in a economic climate where they were dealing in, you know, livestock and stuff like that. They weren't ready yeah. for coins. These suddenly valuable coins uh, were just all suddenly all throughout Europe as they were traded uh, and they they lost their value. Another example is the richest man ever, uh, Mansa Musa of Mali in Africa. Like when he went through Egypt, he had so much gold that he was just giving it to beggars. Um, and he gave away so much gold that the entire economy of Egypt at the time just crashed because like it just <laughs> influxed so much value. Um, so yeah, value, like I mean, going back to what we just keep saying, like treasure is determined by what people value in the world. I'm just like processing this because I'm imagining... Um, you could have a very different flavor to D and D if the treasure is something unusual. Um, mm-hmm. like I mentioned livestock, but you could have, I don't know. Um, metal is interesting. No, no. I think that like that, the kind of weird, almost like livestock or, or different things of treasure will really be brought into play. I'm hoping in Matt Colville's, uh, expansion about settlements, 
Um, or his oh, book that he's yes. making about settlements. Yeah, Strongholds. That will um, kind of expand on that and kind of your settlement is a place where you can, you know, maybe put some of that strange currency you got or the mm. livestock that some farmer traded you. I think that would be a cool way to utilize the different forms of treasure and how you store them and how you deal with them. I have a prediction about that book and that I think that a lot of people are, are going to find it to be totally useless because of the type of game that they play with 5e. Um, mm. because if you're going to turn into a god, what what need do you have for a castle in one kingdom in one part mm-hmm. of the earth? Huh. I think that it's going to fit better with an older school style where like, yeah. um, you become a baron and a baron is very different than a demigod, right? Like Hercules yeah. would not settle down in a castle in uh, Greece. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because that, that changes the whole dynamic of like what the goal is and like the whole as power increases, like you kind of disregard lower titles and stuff like that like oh that's that's incredible because mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me like i am super excited for it because um i just did it with my players they made a settlement and they um hired npcs um and went back to their favorite npcs and tried to convince them to come live on their settlement and it was really fun but i was doing it by the seat of my pants and didn't i would i would have loved to have colville's <laughs> guide uh to to help me yeah uh, but yeah i could see how it, with 5e they kind of neglect that for the more powerful you know higher level stuff that just neglects that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think it would be interesting to have an adventure with land as the treasure huh. so you're you're fighting for territory you're fighting for trying to get different regions and you're not necessarily you could you could even be fighting as like a king of a realm and you're just trying to conquest and gain as much influence around your area. Oh, that's so wow. great. That that feels like Game of Thrones, there, like there... different ruling houses, mm-hmm. um, you know, competing for different yes. plots of land oh, and that cities. That would be so cool. It's it's almost like a strategy game, like Risk, just turned into D&D, where you're just fighting for control. It would take a special type of player that would want that, but I feel like that could be mm-hmm. amazing. It, it would be, I think it would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Crusader Kings because, like, um, that is kind of the Game of Thrones. You start at, like, a house level, like, you're the, the leader of a ruling house, um, and then you eventually try to get good offspring to marry other people, and then you technically become, like, the genetic hierarchical figure and you just try to grow your kingdom through espionage um and warfare and uh marrying the right people and yeah it's it's full of political intrigue and that that sounds a lot like the game you're pitching um and like i said it it takes a real Mm. specific player that would like that um and a lot of role-playing and politics but it could be great it would be interesting to say the least yeah I could almost see a mega game being played where everyone is a, a different house and you're different roles within a house and you're negotiating with each other over land and things. Um, but that's, like Jake's saying, it's a special type of game with a special GM and player. And um, But it would definitely be a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of deal. Yeah. So as far as I know, like Treasure was different in the earlier editions, right? Will, I, I kind of regard you as a expert of the earlier editions of D&D. Like, how was Treasure... Like, um, wasn't it like XP? It was like experience? Yeah, so um, the game has really changed so much or, as far as I've learned. I'm no expert, but um, I'm just sort of a... I dabble. You know, <laughs> I, I dabble. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in, so in modern D&D, um, 
you can kill a monster and they give you XP. And you see that in a lot of video games as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually now modern D&D has moved away from that. And now you have milestone rewards because people just don't like tracking yeah. math, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, um, gold was XP. And what that means is that, let's say there's a dragon. or Let's go smaller scale. There's a bunch of goblins and they have a couple hundred gold in their lair. And the players would just, they realize they don't have to kill them. They just sneak in. And they steal as much as they can and they get out. And when they get that, they score the stuff and they can level up. And hmm. so it, it facilitates this entirely different mindset of problem solving um, yeah. as far as it relates to it D&D. changes, yeah. So this makes it so your players wouldn't be murder hobos. They would be negotiation yeah. experts or like sneaky that. people. Like, I do too. Like The more you think about it, the more it's like, wow, this really changes a fundamental part of um, how the players approach the game. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I almost think it'd be interesting as if, if instead of having XP to level, you had to buy it with gold. Like so training? It was like, yeah, it was so, so you would essentially be paying for training or investing in yourself or investing in better equipment. Hmm. So you could see that the wealthiest people would be some of the most powerful because of the stuff that they're able to buy. Huh. That's interesting. So would you be tying... Um, class progression into like loot rewards or would that be a uh, more of a mechanical like you, you know your stats go up kind of thing it, w- it would just be a it would it would change the way progression works so instead of you hitting the milestone of oh i've killed th- i've progressed to this point in the adventure now i'm level three it would be i've acquired this much gold and now i can spend some downtime and train and get better at you know, being a rogue, let's say, and it would be a more core part of the game and it would more kind of flavorfully fit better. That's interesting because I feel like if you're spending gold to train and you're spending, what, weeks or months at a time in the game doing Mm -hmm. that, it gives you an opportunity to kind of narrate your character's story and you get to know them over a longer period. So often in Mm -hmm. D&D, if you actually do take the time to track the days, an entire lifetime of adventure takes place in a week or a month <laughs> and and like you've gone from a level one nobody like on february 1st to like defeating the dark lord and you know becoming the king of the realm 28 days later and yeah um, <laughs> yeah that's, that's i yeah. feel like it's yeah it's not epic fantasy if you look at lord of the rings or game of thrones or any book that takes a long time to get where it's going you mm-hmm. feel this deep sense of progression and um characterization maybe yeah um, as your your characters go through a lot it also gives you the opportunity to have more things to spend gold on Mm -hmm. and to give players a different way to acquire their level progression instead of just gold you could be like hey here are some your your next level wizard spells found in this dungeon so instead of them just acquiring them naturally they've actually found them in a dungeon and it makes more sense to why they would have them in their spell tone. Yeah, yeah. It's because they found them, you know, a goblin was holding this dirty scroll, and now they have Fireball. No, I love that. That's great. That's so great. I'm just really intrigued with how changing this one little piece of D&D completely changes or or has these potential repercussions that ripple across the whole game. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is why I get excited for D&D. So I, I guess kind of going back to downtime um, and how you use treasure on downtime, um, I think it's so cool to see how my players spend gold. Um, and so I'll do downtime and I'll basically just say, okay, you guys are you know on the ship for a week. 
what do you do? And I'll have players that are more of the min-maxer munchkins. They're just like, I train the whole time. Or, or they're just like, um, mm. I practice this <laughs> certain spell. Hey, DM, do I get a bonus? You know, they'll be like, hey, hey, do I do I get an upgrade? <laughs> do, do I get a, a higher strength stat? And sometimes I'll let them. Sometimes I won't. Um, but the other ones who are the more role play heavy people um, will just be like, hey, I go find that NPC and I pick his brain. And they'll just be like, hey, where are you from? <laughs> you know, what, what brought you here? You know, and they'll start um, doing, you know, role play stuff. And so it's really cool to see different motivations. Um but a lot of times I will let them spend their gold and their downtime at different areas. And I'll just say, what do you want? What do you seek out? Um, especially if they're in a big metropolitan area. If they say, I want a wand, then, you know, there'll be a wand shop. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make up a name or I'll have it already written down in my city. And I'll be like, okay, you go to uh, Wendleton's Wands. Uh, and they'll walk into the store and Wendleton, who's he's probably a gnome, which is like, hello there, I'm Wendleton. What are you looking for today at my wand store? <laughs> and, and, you know, they'll, they'll buy what they need. Um, I remember you mentioning some time ago, Will, that uh, your players never really spent their gold. I just find that crazy because like mm -hmm. I, I find so many instances for them to to spend it do they really not spend it in your in yours as far as i've played it just sits in their pockets and does nothing but a lot of that is because the pace that i set and the urgency of the mission true gives no time for downtime true there's like, no, yeah there's no time to spend gold and so yeah. even like side quests they just ignore because they've got an urgent matter right now yeah what about you david do you do your characters in your games do they tend to spend their gold or is it just burn in their pockets it, it kind of sits around, to be hmm. honest. Uh, I've been bad in the past at giving players opportunities to spend gold. So that is definitely something that I'm working on, trying to make it make gold more useful and a, a means to doing more things. Huh. And man, this kind of bums me out because I, I use gold and economies and um, spending and stores mm -hmm. and bartering and negotiation all the time. And it seems like you guys don't do that as much. And it kind of bums me out. The hardest thing is knowing the value of a gold piece in a, in my world. So compared to like, let's say a dollar, like what does a gold actually mean? And oftentimes I don't necessarily have a set value, <laughs> which kind of makes it less it it decreases the value of gold because there isn't a like a comparative metric oh. for which it can be compared. David, I got I got Just an answer for you. Copper worth a dollar. No, no, no. What I do, mm -hmm. uh, my gold is a little less valuable, I think, than than most people's you know gold piece. Um, but for me, the way I have always standardized sure. it, believe it or not, is I always go one gold piece equals the price of beer. So one mug of beer of ale really? is always one gold piece. And I kind of use that logic mm. and I, you know, expand it outward um, and make the prices of everything else like comparable to that. Uh, but I always, just to make it easy, because my mm. characters are always visiting taverns. They're always buying drinks. They're always rolling yeah. constitution as they get drunk later in the night. Um, because of that, I just, gold became a simple, like one gold for one beer. Um, and because of that, that's, that yeah. kind of set my whole economy off from that. And it's always wow. been that way ever since. I wonder if there's Actually, some economist somewhere who's like nodding along and saying, ah, oh, yes, the old beer gold conversion. <laughs> <laughs> the, the system that is set in 5E, where it has copper and silver and gold, just kind of 
for me, muddies the water. So it's hard to distinguish between different values. And it's like, oh, well, this this plate of food is going to cost you 10 copper. And then this this hat's going to cost you a silver. And then this wand is going to cost you, you know, 100 silver. Yeah, and it's it, so just confusing. Converting between them. I really like your idea of just simplifying it to just gold, the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Everything is just kind of yeah. set as that. I really, I just piece. have gold. I think that makes a very simple solution yeah. to what I've been struggling to figure out. Yeah, because I think having, you know, you know, if it's just like, all right, you found 400 copper pieces and 63 silver pieces and seven <laughs> gold pieces. It's like no one, unless you're just, you know. And a ruby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a chip ruby. You know, it's like no one, unless you're like, oh. you know, uh, an accountant is excited to get that information you know it's much easier yeah, for me I to just that. be like all right you found uh you found 28 gold there divvy it up you know like that's mm-hmm. so much easier um so yeah i, I simplify yeah. my economy and i keep it on the beer standard mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna take note of that so let's talk about the big question when and why do you give treasure do you give treasure at all I mean, I hope so. I hope there's no DM. Well, maybe. I've never given any treasure. (laughs) (laughs) Treasure is all mine. I don't know. I feel like treasure should be a reward, but it shouldn't be a reward in the sense of like, uh, you know, the first edition gold is XP sort of thing. Like gold shouldn't be experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So it shouldn't be like a one to one ratio of like you worked this hard. So you get this many gold. I think sometimes they should be disappointed in yeah. the amount of gold that's under the dragon, or <laughs> yes. they should be overwhelmed yes. at the amount of gold that a goblet had managed to scrounge up. <laughs> hmm. I was just going to say that, because if you're always going in expecting the same amount of gold, it's it just becomes more of like a laborious task. Yeah, it's like a math game. And I, li- I like the idea of almost random chance coming in but it's not it's not, but not too random much because it's determined by the dm yeah but it, yeah and that's so the you'll, you'll fight a goblin and find like a hundred gold it is coin purse and you're just like what is he doing with this and that almost leaves room for mystery because then you ask questions well why do they have so much of this treasure yeah and maybe there's an unseen threat that might arise because of it no, that's a good point. So I feel like we're um, getting back to the original, very first thing we talked about, um, treasure being the goal of D&D. And we, we kind of agree that's not. And so um, mm-hmm. I think that if you have, a let's say, a wizard who wants to have this big dream of having a wizard's tower and just researching all day, I mean, basically the millennial life, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> am I right? Yeah. <laughs> you would research... You could scry for where your treasures are that you want to find, and then you go get them. And so I think getting gold is sort of a side effect of the main quest. It's not really the main quest itself. Hmm. And so, like Jake's saying, having a random amount under a dragon, that's interesting. And unless your entire goal was to go kill his dragon and get his stuff. Uh, that I think it would be really frustrating as a player for the yeah. GM to like look up from his screen and say, oh, there's 10 gold under here, guys. Joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's finding that balance yeah. of like you need the randomness like David was talking about, but you do need it to be semi-proportional to how much effort and risk they took. Um, and it, it's about yeah. finding that balance. And also it's about finding the tone. Mm-hmm. If you live in like a you know Game of Thrones dark fantasy 
sometimes like I feel like things shouldn't pay off and there should be tragedy. Um, but if you live in a, if you're playing in a standard, um, standard fantasy, you know, 5e setting, then yeah, I think it should be a little more proportional. I just love the idea of the players going through a couple of sessions here, hearing about this hyped up treasure, this legendary loot, and then they get there and it's just a chest of just a few gold pieces. <laughs> David, that and sounds like a disappointment nightmare. that goes from it. David, disappointment I think works for like characters. <laughs> But not for people. Like, people don't come to D&D to get <laughs> no, disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, going back to what you were saying, Will, about it not being the goal of D&D, but, like, an a goal of D&D, I think it fits really well in mm-hmm. I'm going through the Tomb of Annihilation right now. And the jungle, uh, like, has a bunch of ruins, and there's treasure all over. Um, you know, it's just all sorts of gold and artifacts and gemstones that are hidden away in these temples and ruins. And so their goal is, you know, eventually to get to the Tomb of Annihilation itself. But until then, basically what they're doing is trying to get experience, get a lay of the land, and get as much gold as they can to buy the best stuff they can so they're equipped to go into the dungeon. Um, so it is hmm. is a cool balance thing of, like, giving the players enough treasure that they can equip themselves to kind of match the challenges you're giving them. But also give them enough things to buy with that treasure yeah. that they don't just have unlimited money, but they also can afford interesting things. For instance, would you allow your players in Tomb of Annihilation to hire uh, hirelings? Yeah, absolutely. They'd be they'd be mm. really expensive, but absolutely. Um, I, I I encourage creative, um, you know, unorthodox ways of spending their money, and I yeah I encourage that. You know, if they can pay a wizard enough. Um, to give them just a portal right to the doorstep of the Tomb of Annihilation, like they can spend their money that way. Um, but, That's true. But it's it it's it's a really tough game to play um, because you have to balance it. Because oftentimes, and if my players are listening, they might get a little upset. Um, I ask them how much gold they have before I give a price because oh I gosh. I need to make sure that price <laughs> I need to make sure that price is balanced. Because if I give them just a standard, if I'm reading from the 5e prices, then I may have given them too much gold in the past or not enough gold in the past. And so I have to balance the prices for the amount of arbitrary gold that I often throw at them. Um, or oh else gosh. or else they will, you know, get something that's way too powerful. Um, or they won't have enough money to buy enough armor to scrabble together to to, to go into the jungle. What I'm hearing is that you set prices based on the percentage of their gold. Well, I, I which is crazy because no, I do, but I also still stick to the uh, to the beer standard. Um, so it, it, it's it's finding that balance. <laughs> so it's somewhere in between a beer and a half Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, it's. Wibbly, do you feel wibbly. like giving loot away is going to unbalance your game? Ooh, I think magic items can throw off the balance for sure. Absolutely. I think if you are playing a combat a sport game that is very rules heavy, treasure can definitely be a huge balance concern because it just some of the items drastically increase the DPS that a player can do compared to other players in a group or even to compared to the challenge rating of monsters that they would normally fight. Mm-hmm. That's assuming you're dealing with magic items that affect your combat effectiveness. A lot mm-hmm. of magic items in D&D 
uh, tend to be more utilitarian, like the bag of holding or the portable hole, uh, just to name a few. Boots of jumping. I feel like the the combat items, though, drastically outweigh the number of utility items. Uh, well, with Xanathar's Guide, in terms the of new... What, what we see in the... I don't know. The, the Xanathar's Guide magic items, the mundane magic items, are like some of my favorite things. And I don't think any of them affect <laughs> combat oh, much at great. all. Oh, they're great. Um, no, no, not at all. So I think that that does give a good balance to it. Cause yeah, will, what you're saying, like if you're giving away combat specific magic items, which, you know, for most players are mm-hmm. some of the coolest, um, those, yeah, yeah those are going to be the ones that they strive for, Yeah, but they can, they can, you know, mess up the balance for sure. Mm-hmm. For me, I found myself, um, not really concerned with the balance of my game per se, uh, when I'm giving away magic items it's mostly between my players uh because for yeah. me i can you know i play dnd 5e so fast and loose that i can manipulate anything and adapt anything on the fly to match their challenge level at any time um, you know i can change things to make it fair uh, but with them i i will see you know maybe someone is a min maxing barbarian fighter who's just killing it with damage um and yeah. I, I oftentimes find it hard to give that character more magic items that give him more damage because he <laughs> will it will just get exponentially better um or in my opinion exponentially worse as he does more damage in comparison to everyone else um so a lot of times especially yeah. with uh rangers um because in my opinion rangers damage output is just so much lower than the other classes yeah that i will often buff rangers um by most of the time by giving them a magic item that's good um and i find Mm -hmm. that just a simple magic item that they find early on in the campaign will make a ranger comparable to all the other classes throughout so i think using magic items to balance you know the players and the party is super effective in my opinion this is interesting jake because i feel like there's a fundamental um kind of contradiction in the way you run your game because on one hand it seems like you're really hands-off mechanically and more hands-on narratively but then i'm hearing you like you shift your economy as needed for the pursuit of the story but then you're also shifting your balance of the game which Mm -hmm. i don't or or the perceived balance of the game so the players all feel i guess a lot of my players do care about the stuff significantly more than than me if i were playing with a bunch of people that played Mm -hmm. like me i don't think we'd even do damage I don't even think we'd roll dice. No, you, it would be an improv night. <laughs> it would just be. That's what it would, it be. would just be a heroic <laughs> improv night. Uh, so yeah, but for them, they they do <laughs> like these things, and so I do try to balance them the best I can. I think the best way I can justify how I play my game is with cutting away all the unnecessary, you know, trimming away the fat of five E rule system, mm. and the things that I keep, I focus on hard. Um, like I don't just throw everything <laughs> yeah. away. I trim away things that I think I deem unnecessary, but the things I keep, I, I definitely focus on. How do you guys feel about randomly assigned loot versus targeted loot? And, and what, what I mean by targeted is, um, you know that the barbarian wants this one sword, and so you put it on an enemy out in the world, and you tell him mm-hmm. where he is. Huh. I personally don't like random loot. It's... It's too unpredictable, and I like having the control of my game where I can kind of add items that I think would be interesting or maybe utility-based or potentially useful in different manners. 
compared to just randomly saying, hey, you just get these three potions of healing. Is that different if you're a player? Um, as a player? That's interesting. Because sometimes, as a player, it depends upon the, the magic item tables, if they are, if they have interesting items. What I really like in my game as a player is to get items that just do, they're not necessarily, you know, a plus three sword, but it's, it could be an item that has a niche use, where it's up to me to make use of. So in that sense, maybe I would like random loot. Because what I'm thinking is that as a GM, I've always been very cautious about giving away magic items because I was concerned about balance mm-hmm. um, and, and they just destroy my game. Um, so in my more recent games, I've started giving away random loot because I figure more random mm-hmm. items are more fun. Um, but True. then sprinkling in some of that targeted loot where it's like, well, I know that this person wants this specific thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I plan a way for them to get it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's finding the balance between random and targeted. I think for me, like, I definitely yeah. will be like, okay, this is my party. It consists of a paladin, a fighter, um, and two rogues. I'm not going to give them loot of wizard's robes, you know, that give them plus one intellect. Because it's <laughs> no, just, yeah. it's, it, none of them would use it. And they'd be like, okay, how quick can, can we sell this? Um yeah, yeah. Can we flip a profit on this? Yeah, and so I definitely be. I'm like, I tailor my loot to who's in the game, um, and then I kind of just it. Maybe I would use a random loot table, um, and then pick mm-hmm. what I like or anything that comes out that I don't like. Yes. I just transfer that into gold and throw it on the pile of gold that they also get. Because um, yeah, I, I don't see the point mm-hmm. of you know giving brass knuckles if no one's an unarmed fighter. Um, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I, Will, what you were saying about uh, balance. Um, I definitely find that not with combat. Cause like I said, I can, I can alter my combat to always be fair no matter what, but yeah, utility, if you give people so much utility with all of these, even mundane magic mm-hmm. items, or even some of the magic items that don't alter combat, they just give you more utility. If you keep throwing those mm-hmm. out like candy, then suddenly your players, you, it's impossible to challenge them. Um, I found that recently in my, they'll just destroy. Yeah. Like I found that recently in my game, um, you know, they're, they're in the jungle. They're, they're trying to, to overcome these obstacles and I have all these different obstacles and, you know, uh, kind of, uh, old ancient wooden rope bridges to cross. Um, but if one of the characters can fly, um, and another character has a bag of holding, then everyone just hops in the bag of holding mm-hmm. that the guy puts on the bag of holding and just flies across. And and that whole thing that you prepared is useless. Um, so I think even the utility <laughs> Did that happen. Yeah, oh yeah. My, my players, um, uh, not going into too much detail, but uh, one of them hatched a baby dragon um, and is training the baby dragon. Um, and he just, de- <laughs> he just devoted his entire character arc to training this baby dragon. And it's amazing. <laughs> the dragon calls him dad and everything. It's like hilarious. Um, so they have a creature that can fly that the, the paladin can train him and, and give him orders. And then they have a huge bag of holding that they bought. So they, they just jump in the bag of holding, tie the bag to the dragon. And the guy, you know, sticks his head out of the bag and just tells the dragon where to go. And suddenly... Wow. Nothing can stop them, you know, unless I just throw a million undead pterodactyls at the dragon just to ground them. <laughs> but you have to get more <laughs> and more creative in order to combat the utility. Because, you know, I'll throw yeah. I'll throw little magic items 
just in as as candy and they'll just love it they'll be oh cool 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 and i'm like that'll never be important and then randomly you know a year later in my campaign they pull out oh Mm -hmm. this is a ring of luck that i had forever where i can just re-roll one dice roll and i was like i don't even remember giving you that (laughs) and they and they (laughs) use it and and it's like it's easy to think, oh, balance is mm-hmm. about combat, but no, balance with magic items is also about the amount of utility they have. Because like I said, too much utility yeah. can be, you know, can break the game in a different way that's not combat focused. Yeah, yeah when true. a character can do too many things, they become very powerful. Yeah. I found that the combination of just flying and bag of holding is just, it's impossible to, you know, it, it takes so much DM legwork to give that a challenge, you know? You have to send flying well, enemies at them, or you have to uh, just have to burn up that bag. Oh yeah, but see, they've they've become so reliant uh, on it that like it would really upset them, and that's exactly why I'm gonna take it from them. I I hope <laughs> I hope this episode uh, airs after I do, but <laughs> how do you feel about putting your loot on a powerful villain, and then when they die, the characters can recover the oh item. Oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, I love this because I love it. What you like that's yeah. a perfect way that you can show the characters what that magic item does. And so you can make it really scary, mm-hmm. you can make it do all sorts of cool things and it's a way of showing them how the magic item works before they get it. So then when they finally down the villain, they look at this and go, "Oh, I know how this works." And they don't have to do the weird, you know, wizard identify and and check to see how a magic item works. So the DM has to whisper or get an NPC to come over and be like, oh, that's the ring of spinning. And if you spin it left, it'll do a flip. You know, like you have to, uh, (laughs) you can see it, (laughs) you know. Terrible item. Yeah, yeah, that's not my best magic item that I made on the fly. Uh, But yeah, it gives, you know, a good opportunity for the players to see what the magic item does before they get it. I think that's a really cool way to to introduce the item as, as a villain to use it on the players first. I found that for giving away really powerful items, I just put um, there's a mechanic I learned of called a usage die. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's kind of a I don't even know how to describe it. It's a random way to deplete its ammo over time. Huh. I recently did this in my game with a wand of fireballs, which seems like a crazy powerful item. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the characters used it a lot. And in two sessions, it completely went away. And it just kind of solved itself. I didn't have to worry about them having this all-powerful, self-regenerating wand. And I, I like the idea of having um, temporal items, whether it's an invisibility cloak or something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love items that have a like a limited or even one-time use, where it's like you have to make use of it in that in that one time otherwise it's just gone absolutely and it's not something that you can use as a crutch and rely yep. on all the time that's so great i think an example of this i don't know if this counts as a magic item but it, it counts as treasure um is an orb of destruction which is basically like a bomb Ooh. it's basically just a bomb that you can use once um and because yeah. of that like i love having that or giving that to the players because then they have kind of a cool cinematic there's that c word again the cinematic way to get rid of a villain or blow up a you know hideout of baddies um yeah so an orb of destruction is a or fun shove one. it down the throat of a tarasque oh yeah yeah it's it's just it's so great but let's get into what do you guys what are some of your favorite just in general we'll start with magic items then we'll, we'll talk about mundane magic items so what are some of your favorite 
magic mm. items that you've used or even had as players? I think that for me, one of the most powerful items is definitely the bag of holding. It's just super utility, super... You don't have to worry about carrying weight anymore. Yeah. You just shove it in a bag and it just magically disappears. It's almost too powerful. Just get that... The, the, the yeah, Mary Poppins bag. But I, I I think one of my favorite things about it, though, isn't the the item itself, but its interaction with the portable hole. Oh, now, don't, if you don't, don't know... Don't start this, David. When you, stick, when you stick a portable hole inside a bag of holding, it rips a hole in temporal space and opens a portal to the astral plane and then closes <laughs> afterwards. And I was playing in a one shot recently and ma- bags of holding were being given out. And then I asked if I could get a portable hole, which I got. And then I used it to cheese the boss by sending it to the astral plane. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, weaponized which it. which <laughs> just kind of de- instantly defeated the the evil witch. Now you're thinking with portals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely had some uh, some fun experiences. Portal gun, best item. Yeah, <laughs> I think one of my favorites from I think it's from the DMG. One of the just magic items is the belt of dwarven kind. Um, I really love mm, it because it's just yeah. it's just a standard oh, yeah. belt, and when you put it on. You can read and write Dwarven. You get plus two, I think, constitution. And you immediately grow a beard. <laughs> I just love that flavor. Of, we once used it um, in one of my campaigns. Like They went up and they kept failing persuasion checks on this one guard. Um, and so eventually, they would, in order to try again, they put on the belt of Dwarven kind and pretended to be a different person. <laughs> <laughs> and oh it eventually God. worked. <laughs> uh, it's just such a cool thing, especially if you put it on one of like the the weakest, youngest members of the party. Instantly turn them, you know, into like a grizzled man. <laughs> I love the belt of dwarven kind. It's a good disguise. For me, um, I feel like spell scrolls are just really underrated and underrepresented. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever used one. And Ooh. as far as giving it away, right? And most people haven't. I played D D for years before I even knew you were supposed to award that as loot like mixed in with your stuff. Yeah. And so I like the idea of giving um, essentially tools, right? Because spells are just in-game tools. Yeah. Um, but they're a one-shot and they can be used by almost anybody. Mm-hmm. And they go away. And so it's kind of this perfect union of all the things that I want in a treasure reward, where it, which is player agency, a something that will deplete itself. And um, I guess it's just two things. <laughs> no, I, that, that's a good point, though. I don't, I don't think I've considered <laughs> spell scrolls much. Yeah. And they're literally magic items. Um. <laughs> and I, I think the best part about them is that they, they burn up after use. Yeah. Exactly. So they, it's it's a one-time use. You can give them an inter- you can give them a utility spell. You can give them whatever. I can give them five different things that are like apparently useless, but mm-hmm. players will find a use for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes care of itself at the end. Um, what about uh, mm-hmm. Xanathar's Guide uh, introduced a ton of of really cool mundane magic items. Uh, so what are your guys' favorite, oh, yes. not even of those, um, but just mundane magic items in general? Like what are some of the favorites that you've used either from the book or, or just some you've created? 
So I have, I have, I have two that I can think of. One of them is a coin that you just give a thought and whenever you flip it, it always lands on that side. Oh, such a so swindler's tool. So, so it's, it's just like a swindler's coin that you can use to try to persuade people or maybe get them to make a bad deal. And then the other one is a spoon that whenever you put stuff in it, it turns it into a mush that is edible. So you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about finding food. So you can just stick it in the dirt and pull it up and it just it's edible mush. It oh, I doesn't bet taste it, bad. Oh, I bet it tastes bad. It taste good. It should taste bad. Yeah. It, yeah. What happens if you put it into a person? Um, it would just be like a spoonful would turn into mush, I imagine. <laughs> oh. Wait, so you could slowly eat a person, like with their mass deplete oh, over that time. That sounds like a torture from Probably. the nine hills. <laughs> Yikes! Well, uh, th- that's a question I didn't know I was going to be asking tonight. Okay, so I have two as well. Um, the first one is just a cool idea that you can use in a lot of ways. It's called the smoldering armor, and all oh, it means, yeah. all that it does is odorless smoke rises from the armor while you wear it. So you look like a demon or something. From the Nine Hells, just stalking people at <laughs> night, smoking. The other one is the Mystery Key. Uh, this is a key that has a 5% chance of unlocking any lock, and when it does, it disappears. I think it's just a fun idea, because then you have a player mm-hmm. who's obviously just trying to unlock everything he can. <laughs> oh, man. And all the mimics he can, too. I love that. Because he has to roll a 20. Yeah. That's that's great. I think for me, um, the... The shield of expression is so great. I think I changed it because it said, okay, the front of the shield. I think I changed it a little bit. It says, the front of the shield is shaped in the likeness of a face. What it lets you do is, uh, as an action, you can change the expression on the face on your shield. Um, but what I did is I made the shield sentient. Um, and it it can't talk. But it just reacts to things. So like when 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 I think the paladin has it like he's fighting, um you know if he gets if the shield gets smacked he like I explain like you know the the orc's warhammer lands with a clang on the shield you notice the the brow furrow and a, a massive frown overtakes <laughs> it <laughs> and it's just so it's just so much fun to just imagine a shield like reacting to like different things like it'll laugh at jokes and stuff like oh it's so great um it makes you get attached to your items yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. another one is uh oh i can't i i have to mention the cloak of billowing like it's basically just a normal cape Mm. but whenever you want whenever you choose it billows and that's it it does nothing else it just billows it doesn't give you plus one to charisma it just billows (laughs) and so i think my warlock has it um and so the warlock in my campaign has it, and what he does is he just, like, every situation he'll be like, by the way, my cloak billows. <laughs> and it's just so funny, because it's just so literally mundane, but it just adds, you know, a little bit of a little bit of flavor to it. But I think one of the favorites I've had, um, I don't know if this one counts as mundane, because it's pretty dang useful. Um, I just called it a portal ring. We're talking a lot about portals um, tonight, yeah. but... Basically, mm-hmm. what it does is it's just a normal looking ring. You put it on and your finger disappears. And so, you're, you know, most players oh. are like, what the heck? But then they realize that the mm-hmm. the ring is a portal to another ring. And so, basically, whatever you stick into the ring will come out on the other ring. 
Um, and so it's really interesting. Basically, uh-huh. the High Wizard gave them one of the rings so they could communicate. They could basically take the ring off their invisible finger, making it visible again, wrapping uh-huh. up a note like on parchment, and then um, fold that note up and then put it through the ring. I mean, you can send messages. Um, and it was really cool. Like they could communicate with like the arch wizard. But what happened was uh, the guy was like trying to send a message when they were trying to escape a dungeon that was flooding. Um, and the dungeon, oh. it was deep underground. So it started flooding from like the ocean and it completely floods. And the guy rolls a bad dexterity check and it falls off. Like he just drops the ring in the water. And so uh, oh. he, you know, they get swept through, you know, they they survive, but they're swept out of the dungeon. But then back in the main capital, uh, the wizard tower <laughs> now has a waterfall coming out of it <laughs> from the portal. <laughs> and so that happened, you know, in the first campaign that I ran in my world. And now the world, some 500 years later, still has a waterfall coming out of the wizard tower from that ring. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that's just so interesting. That's cool. <laughs> that is really cool. I'm just but imagining like a ring water. on a on a table and it's just like a finger sticking out of it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like moving around as well. And, and but, then, like but then as soon as the finger disappears, you know there's a message that's gonna be jammed through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so that's really interesting. <laughs> I'm gonna steal that. I love it. I'm just wondering if there's like if he has like a shelf of rings. So like, there's multiple just like fingers oh, just sitting on the different shelf. like different wizards <laughs> out in the world, and they oh. yeah, oh, and yeah. Imagine like as players walking into that and just seeing a bunch of rings like on the wall or on a table with f- different you know skin colored f- fingers sticking out of them. You'd be like, what kind of wizard <laughs> with, with is this? With a little plaque with a name on it. Yeah, <laughs> Harold, Seamus, <laughs> different names. <laughs> That's it. that's one of the best items we talked about today. Welcome to the question vault. This week, favorite spells. Favorite spells. What is our favorite spell? Huh. Man, I, I do a lot of spell editing and, and spell creation, so... But I'll pick one from the book. Mm-hmm. I'll pick one from the book. I think for me, it's got to be... Um, I think my warlock just got this spell. It's a level level four conjuration magic spell it's uh everd's black tentacles um and it's just in a 20 foot Mm. square um squirming ebony like octopus tentacles just rise from the ground um and anyone who's caught in that area is like um they have to do a deck saving throw or else they're they take bludgeoning damage and are um wrapped up um, and it's really cool because I gave um, the warlock a little bit of leeway, a little bit of agency where he can kind of have the tentacles kind of make specific actions uh, and just kind of showing how the spell was really useful. They were fighting a frog hemoth um, and the warlock used the uh, <laughs> the tentacles. Mm. Uh, well, first off, the frog hemoth swallowed the gunslinger um, and <laughs> the warlock used the tentacles to like open the frog's mouth so they could fish out their friend. <laughs> and it was just so cool how, like, um, I don't know, I feel like it gives it a, a solid balance of area of effect, damage, um, crowd control, mm-hmm. and, like, agency of being able to pick kind of what, being able to choose what the, the tentacles do. I just, I just really like that spell. All right, I have mine. Okay. My spell is Animal Messenger. Uh, what it is is you just, you choose a tiny animal, like it can fly or run or whatever. And you tell it a message up to 25 words and then it runs off. Um, and 
if it's within 50 miles or yeah within 50 miles it'll go and deliver the message in your voice and i just oh, it, it does several so things great. for me so <laughs> i know so you have this really fun um very fantasy feeling way of communicating but in low levels because it's only a second level spell um it goes a long distance and, and it also takes time. So it makes players have to sit and like be very considerate about the communication. And then mm-hmm. they don't immediately get a response, which builds suspense. And it gives you a chance to just whisper to a woodland creature <laughs> um, <laughs> for a very <laughs> real and beneficial effect. So it, hmm. I'm delighted by this spell. See, I feel like I, I would alter that spell um, by... <laughs> I'm, I'm always wanting to role play as everything. So I would want to role play as like the little bunny or the mouse or the turtle that comes up to you. And like you would have to try to convince it. Like you would have to talk to it for a bit to try to get it to understand. And so then that would add to the suspense of like, I hope that animal got my message right. (laughs) I hope that. I hope it understood what I was saying. I hope that little sparrow understood the the importance of this message. (laughs) All right. What's yours, David? Oh, man. There. There are so many good spells. Find Familiar is great. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I think I'm more of a fan of, like, the utility spells. I, damage is, like, pretty common in spells, but things like Tensor's Floating Disc. What does that and do? I, it just creates, like, a floating disc that follows you around oh, carrying things. That's, like, it just, uh, that's it just so like simple, floating, but such like, good plate. utility. That's amazing. And it's, it's so interesting yeah. compared to, like fireball yeah Um, but i think my favorite spell is clone (laughs) which what it does is it it creates a a living being in a jar that after a certain amount of time it it grows oh my god but this is not real soul is transferred into that creature it is it's an eighth level spell like a rick and morty episode what? You want me to read it to you? Uh, I, wait, what level is it? it? I think it's great. Eighth, it's eighth level. Jeez. It says this spell grows an inert, an inert duplicate of a living creature as a safeguard against death. Oh, this clone God. forms inside a sealed vessel and grows to full size and maturity after 120 days. You can also choose to have the clone be a younger version of the same creature. It remains inert and endures indefinitely as long as the vessel remains undisturbed. That is so At any cool. time after the clone matures, if the original creature dies, its soul transfers to the clone. Oh my gosh, that's that's, wow. that's so, absurd. Yeah. I love that. That's ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm just imagining walking into a wizard, like a wizard's lair that isn't, he's gone. Like, let's say he's out running wizard errands. <laughs> and you just see a clone of him, just a a large like back to tank just with a copy of him just sitting just like sitting in a tube filled with viscous fluids oh that's that's some like dark lord crap yeah yeah some horcrux stuff that's Mm -hmm. uh that's that's dnd's version of a one-up yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) thank you for listening to vox arcana episode eight i'm william I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time.